Hi, and welcome to another episode of 52 and 52, a podcast where we watch at least one movie a week for every week in the year and record an episode about it. Today, Josh and I are actually going to be doing something that we used to do back in the first year or so of our podcast. We're going to have a dual episode. We're going to talk about two movies. We're going to talk about Fences, and then we're going to talk about Hidden Figures. Now we're talking about Hidden Fences. Oh, yeah, Hidden Fences. Sorry. (laughs) Shout out to Michael Keaton. Um, So... uh, we just we didn't really think that we had sort of enough to say about each one for like a 30 40 minute episode so sort of just going to talk about them uh intertwine whatever i'm not sure how long the episode will go but um i think it'll be a good discussion so fences uh if you don't know stars uh Denzel directed by Denzel and Viola Davis and it's based on a play written by August Wilson uh, about a guy who Basically, he used to play professional baseball in the Negro League, and then he's, like, living in 1950s Pittsburgh after he's, like, past his prime, and that's, like, when they start allowing black players to play in the MLB, and he's sort of salty about it and ends up being a garbage man instead of a professional baseball player, and he lives with his wife in this little old house in Pittsburgh uh, with his kid, and it's it's really – I mean, it's a play, right, and it's taken from – from the play and from Broadway and put on the screen for a movie uh, directed by Denzel, like I said. And um, I don't know. I think that's where I want to start. Like the movie is it, it's unapologetically you can tell that it's a play. And I've seen some people say that that distracted them from, uh, you know, the actual movie part of it. It was you could definitely tell at some parts that it was like supposed to be a play and it would have some parts would have worked better as a play. But I still think it worked pretty well as a movie. What did you think, Josh? I agree, and I don't know why you go to that movie expecting if you know what it is. Like, you know, it's based on a play. Like, I guess they want them to then just really change it up, but it was clear they wanted to be really faithful to it because at one point, a Tony Kushner was a credited writer on it. He, I guess, is a pretty well-known playwright, but he also wrote Lincoln and frequent Steven Spielberg collaborator for obviously not that doesn't make you the most popular person in these parts <laughs> but like he's a guy that's pretty talented and has done big things in his career so when they dropped him off of that from a screenplay credit it became clear they were going to like do it straight from that and you and I both joked that like in the last year like you found like your copy of fences at your house like you read it in high school or something and I read it in like a freshman theater appreciation class when I was at University of Florida and I randomly came across it when I was home over Christmas and I looked at it like right after I saw the movie and I didn't take the time to go read it, but like I looked at a, read a page here, a page there, a page there. And it is like, if it's not a hundred percent straight from the play, it's like 95%. Like it's almost word for word. So it's like, when you know that they're trying to be that faithful to it, I think it's a weird complaint to just be like, it seemed too much like a play if that's what's keeping you from thinking it's a good movie. Cause I, I really liked it too. Um, I think the one thing that like might have affected my movie going experience was a little bit was that I was with my family and when I go, I've gotten so used to going to the movies by myself now that when I'm with other people I get worried if they're liking it or not. That, I think it takes oh, away yeah, from the movie yeah. experience. It's like I kind of like my my par- family was kind of in because they liked Denzel anyway, but like I could tell they were getting kind of restless because I thought yeah I guess this movie's dragging you a little bit, but I didn't know if it was like. I actually th- would have thought I was dragging a little bit if I was there on my own accord or just seeing my whole family get kind of restless made me feel that way. And I think that's maybe the one criticism of the movie is, well, maybe it does drag a little bit at parts because it gets a little talky and drawn out. But 
like I said, it's a play, it's a weird complaint, and it might have just been the company I was in. Yeah, well, I think that sort of goes back to how similar it is to a play, right? Because we have so many long scenes and long monologues that are pretty atypical for movies nowadays to have, right? It's it's much more of a play thing. And when you're seeing that on on screen with a bunch of like tracking shots, it can sort of feel like it's dragging without actually dragging, I think, which is sort of the midpoint in which this movie operates for basically the entire movie, which is why I said I could sort of understand if you were like, oh, it was too like play for me. But the the acting and, and the writing I mean, granted it's not that Denzel wrote it. Obviously it's adapted from August Wilson, like you said, almost word for word. Uh, it's just really strong and and regardless of whatever format, I think that that it comes through, especially on cinema. Well, you mentioned tracking shots, and I think that maybe that's the one thing. It, like, maybe it didn't have a ton of. I don't. I mean, I'm trying to remember how much of the stuff they film in the house because it feels like some of that is like they cut from one person and they cut to another, so it's not really a tracking shot. And maybe, but like, there there were a couple scenes where they like they are tracking shots when they're walking down the Pittsburgh streets and. Those are really well done, and I can imagine why there weren't more of them because it's got to be pretty expensive to be able to like shut down streets in Pittsburgh like that and then get all the cars that make it look like it's 1950 and have everything out there to make it look like it's 1950 when it's really tempting just to like not do a lot of those because you already have all this good material in front of you where they're mostly just sitting in a backyard. And I think there maybe wasn't a ton of those kind of filmmaking techniques because it just doesn't call for that if you're being faithful to it, but that – I don't know if that really would have necessarily kept me more engaged. I think it was just one of the things where it's like you know they had the ability to do and Denzel showed he can film those scenes, but that's just not really where the movie takes place. And But like I think it's impressive that you do have those long dialogue scenes like you mentioned that you don't see that often in movies, but it still really keeps your attention. And I think a large part of that is because the story, which you broke down at the beginning – I, I, I bet when August Wilson wrote this way back when he did, he maybe didn't expect it to feel so relevant today. Right? <laughs> that was something that I noticed too. But I, I think it translates pretty well, honestly. And um, I, I, I don't think that I liked it enough to to say it should be up for an Oscar maybe, but it's definitely in the top top tier of movies that came out this year. And, and alone it might just be because of the acting because the acting is – uh, pretty incredible, I think. Yeah, so uh, I, don't, I don't know exactly where you want to start with this, but I think like normally when we do these podcasts, we kind of save just talking about the performances a little bit towards the end, but I think it warrants talking about them a little sooner because it's just like so heavily about that more so than anything else is watching these actors do their thing. Uh-huh. Uh, we talked about it on the Manchester by the Sea pod, and I was like, well, it's we were, I was like, Casey Affleck, favorite one of the year, but it's, since then it's been like, kind of come down to it's, it sounds like him or Denzel will probably win the Oscar and I was a little skeptical while it was just going in I was like is he really going to be that good I feel like I've seen Denzel do Denzel things before and yeah he's really good in a lot of those monologues where he's just going all out yelling at his son um getting really angry at Viola but like I think what really sold me for it and would make it to the point where it's like as much as I love Casey Affleck I'm gonna be equally happy for Denzel if he wins his third Oscar is that like he's like really good in like quickly going to some of the scenes where the, without like we don't we don't even i mean i don't feel weird spoiling fences but like you don't even have to to say there there are some scenes where that character is put in his place and is kind of made out to just be a piece of shit person in some ways and he like plays that so well where it's like he goes from being like i'm the big tough man to like wow i'm actually kind of pathetic in some ways like really convincingly and it, it, he's just really good yeah yeah and he sort of has to like flip-flop between this for 
his own sanity, for his family sanity, for his job sanity, et cetera. Um, and it, it's almost like vintage Denzel, honestly. You know, he hasn't. I'm I'm trying to think right off the top of my head. I'm not sure he's been in like a super serious role like this recently. Yeah, I, but, for some reason I thought Flight was further ago than it was. Flight was 2012, and I think that's really the last one. Everything since then has been like action, shoot 'em up, Equalizer, Two Guns, Magnificent Seven, and those are the only three other movies he's done since Flight, actually. Yeah, and to me, I I really don't like Flight that much as a movie, so I'm sort of but I sort of erased him it from my memory. Serious being good, uh, sure, like in in a way that he hadn't like in a way that's different from those other three roles I mentioned. Yeah, and before and that, like I don't even know. I guess American Gangster. I don't know American so, Gangster. Yeah. yeah, probably that's oh seven. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just vintage Denzel. It's it's something that sort of like makes you fall in love with Denzel again, and and it's awesome to just see him you know, talk for five, six, seven straight minutes and, and you sort of just feel everything he's saying within the setting and you see the other characters having these like natural reactions to everything. And I, he was really good. And I, th- I still think Casey's going to win. Um, I think Casey's performance has a little more, uh, strength in it with, in context of the story. Uh, and I, I just think I like that movie a little bit more, but like you said, if he wins, great. He was fantastic. Um, and same goes for Viola Davis. I really actually don't like her much at all, I think. <laughs> but As an actress in general? Yeah, I think maybe a lot of it is just because of how to get away with murder in Suicide Squad. You should have never but, watched that show. I could have told you but, that. I feel bad. It's ruined her for you. I mean, she's pretty bad in Suicide Squad and Black Hat. I don't even know what else I've seen her in, oh, to be honest. Another one I skipped. <laughs> I like Black Hat as a movie, to be honest. You just don't like her? I just don't like her, no, but she was really good. She, she got her first Oscar nomination for The Help. Uh, not The Help, The um, oh. Doubt, Doubt, Doubt. Uh, yeah. Doubt being the 2008 movie, which is also like a play and almost in the same way. It's like feels like a play in the way it's staged, but there's like a really long like scene with her and Mel Shreep just like walking for like two miles talking. And she's like really, really good in that. And I think I've just avoided more of the bad things she's done, so I'm – not as down on her as you are but like she's obviously pretty good like i was also a little cynical about that one because like i heard all these critics seeing the movie before we did just being like oh it's over she's winning best supporting actress and i'm like yeah like there's some other ones i've liked this year it's not the strongest one for that it seems weird they're giving it to her but it's like you can understand that i mean like i you see the scene in the trailer where she's like drooling over herself a snot coming out of her nose like having that one screaming scene i'm like is it just gonna be because of that but like she's really good in all the other parts of it too yeah, yeah, they definitely highlighted that a little bit much in the trailer. And it's a good scene, but I, I don't necessarily think it's the best scene in the movie. But she she plays off Denza really well. and Yeah, even in the, like, it, the, not, the, the somewhat jokey parts, like they mm-hmm. try, it has some funny parts too. Yeah, and that's the thing is that it's sort of the way that it – the way that the story is told is it's – it's pretty grounded in reality, you know. It's it's a lot of conversations. We don't really see a lot of the things that happen necessarily, um, but we sort of get told about them by the characters and by what they're wearing or what they're uh, doing, etc. So I don't know. I, I think it's a pretty good movie. I don't really know what else I have to say about it. Yeah, it feels weird to like try and uh, talk about this in the way we talk about other th- movies where you're breaking down the script or the storytelling or the character development because it's like one of the most widely respected plays at all time. Like we can accept that that stuff is good, but like uh, I-, I just want to say like I think part of what I did really enjoy about it, like I hinted at it earlier, was just the idea that 
like a, like this guy wrote this play in the what the fifties, I guess, and uh, like if it does feel like quite relevant because he's talking about like the ways in which um, black guys get ahead and then his sons or black guys kind of get left behind and they're kind of left out and his son's like, oh no, it's not like that anymore. He's like, oh no, it still is, and like you can imagine it in a different context, like something like that happening today because like at the time, like I think in the movie where he's trying to convince his kid like not to play baseball. Like, you understand where he's coming from, so you don't, like, laugh that guy off as just being totally dumb because he obviously lived through it. But, he, I mean, at that point, it's like – so yeah, and some sports teams are racist still. Like, I mean, the Red Sox didn't sign their first black free agent until, like, the 80s. So I don't want to say, like, you didn't have to worry about that, but, like, if a player is good enough, there's probably going to be a team that signed him. But, like, all the stuff he's saying to his son and stuff, unfortunately, it's still, like, very, very relevant today and can apply to a lot of other non-sports industries. And I felt like that was really cool that like it took on that level of relevance for me, which I did not recall it having, even though I had read the play in the last six years. But I think, and I think you agree with that. So I'm wondering, like, was there something that like didn't work for you? I was talking about how I was unsure if it was slow or I was just like next to my family also being restless because I was like really the one thing I would have said maybe held it back for me was like I wasn't as engaged by the end as I felt like I should have been. And maybe you should have just cut it down and see, like, we love you, August Wilson, but maybe we can make this a little tighter. And that was really my one criticism. Was there other something else? Because you're saying, like, you like Manchester better. Was there something that you thought the movie was missing or could have improved upon? Um, I don't know. I mean, I think that just sort of is – I think this is just sort of how the story is meant to be told, right? Like, this specific story. Um, I'm not sure that I needed to see uh, his son – at football practice or his his other son at the playing music at the bar or him at work uh i i I know they kind of had a scene with him at work not really but um i you know i don't know i think that i i agree that i wasn't like super super connected to it at the end but it's sort like it's just it's just like a good movie you know what i mean like it's good it's solid um i'm sure some other people might have a stronger connection to it and some others won't. But, uh, I just think the nature of them telling this specific story is, I think that it sort of maximized its value potential on the screen as much as it could have for me. Yeah. Did you know that his son was the guy from season two of the leftovers? I didn't know that until I went on IMDb after. Um, I didn't know, but I, I admit, yes, I, I see it now. I got the, I made the connection now. Yeah. Like I, I, I felt I mean, because he's, he's obviously pretty good. I liked him better than the guy that played the older musical playing son. Um, I mean, like, I was fine. He just didn't quite do as much for me. And um, what, do, what did you think of, like, so, but yeah, like, I really like that kid. And I hope he gets to do more stuff. I think he is going to be in season three of The Leftovers, though. Who knows what that's going to be because, like, I know they filmed it in Australia. <laughs> um, yeah. So I don't know, like, if they're taking on the road and somehow he's going to stay involved. But I'm glad that I get to see more of him doing that. Uh, what did you think of uh, Bubba from Forrest Gump playing his brother? I think that, that stuff was a little out there, but like it was interesting, kind of. But it, yeah, I mean, I it's like a it little felt bit a little more out there than the other stuff. Not it's a little bit uncomfortable time. for a little bit, I guess. But they don't really explain why Denzel sort of is angry, but also like trying to take care of him. You well, know, they hint because that, like he's kind of responsible for whatever injury injury might have left his brother brain dead, right? Or yeah, dead, or, yeah. Or well, then damage. he tell he was like, I mean, that he finally says like, you know, if he never got hit in the head, then I would never would have got this money to get this house, blah blah blah. And you can tell like how insecure he is about it because Viola Davis is trying to like, 
tell him like you did everything right you did everything you could nobody's like you know nobody looks down upon you for using that money to buy this house and take care of him etc like you're still taking care of him he has this new apartment etc um so I, I think he was fine i i don't i don't want to say it's like the strongest part of the movie but i think I mean that's something that was written and something that's hard to translate I'm sure to the stage and to the to the film so I mean it was good it was fine I don't I don't know really yeah, sure what else yeah. to say about no, it No I agree I just uh like I don't think I had as strong of a reaction to that stuff cuz he's preaching a lot of gospel and uh literally and I'm he's talking about St Christopher and my my aunt who is uh who's who's is fairly religious catholic was sitting next to me and she was trying to explain some of this stuff for me which I cuz like it was like going in one ear and out the other to a certain extent and um, so I'm glad she filled that in. I think it just didn't click as much for me in part because of me being a little bit of an ignorant Jew when it came to some of the stuff he was talking about. And also yeah. just cause like I said, it maybe didn't quite have that same social relevance at the stuff with his, with his sons had. Um, but yeah, like I, like I still enjoyed, like I still definitely enjoyed it overall. I wish it might've gripped me a little bit more through the end, but like I am always like, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm always, I have a lot of respect for movies that, um, surprise me and keep me intrigued when I've already read the pre-existing material and I know what's coming. Um, even more so than a true story, because like with a true story, um, while there are some challenges, and uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit in Hidden Figures, there are some challenges with what comes with uh, conveying something that someone already knows. There's always a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff that makes a true story possibly interesting where it's like oh i thought i knew this but i didn't know that but like when it's something you've read like word for word before and the movie can still really grab you and um keep you intrigued for a long time like i think that's definitely pretty impressive yeah so on that note i'll say i would recommend seeing fences it's a really strong acting movie um it's well written by august wilson it's translated just fine to the to the screen and you know it'll be up for some oscars come next month so, uh, and, and it's always good to just see Denzel doing his thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I like it that he can still, it shows you he still has his fastball. Um, cause I really, I mean, like I thought he was like fine in uh, magnificent seven, but that was a really not a good movie. And I wanted him, I'm glad he kind of got a chance to redeem himself this year. So yeah, he was one of the better parts of magnificent seven, but the movie overall was whatever. Yeah. Um, All right, so now we're going to talk about Hidden Figures. Um, If you guys don't know, Hidden Figures is a movie uh, that it's it's very surprising to me that I literally never heard of anything about it before, any of the actual people before. Um, And it's a biopic about uh, Katherine Johnson and then played by Taraji P. Henson and then uh, Dorothy Vaughn and Mary Jackson played by Octavia Spencer and Janelle Monae Mm -hmm. about – these African-American women that work at NASA when they're, uh, I guess, 50s and 60s when they're trying to, um, you know, send people into space and send someone to the moon and, and unmanned objects around Earth, et cetera. Um, and is, is it – did you know anything about them before this, like, movie trailer came out, Josh? No. Any of those ladies? No, I didn't. Um that's so weird to me because like this seems like it's kind of like an important get it the name of the movie hidden figures they've been yeah hidden well in history. <laughs> and hidden figures because of the math you get it oh figures well, it's a double entendre I'll say. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um i don't know it just uh, the more i think about it the more i think how strange it is that this i mean 
in today's society is fucked up as his, but no, I think I think Katherine Johnson did get honored um, at something like because she's still at the alive. White House. She's, she's still alive, like even though she's like yeah, I think she's late nineties, but she's still alive and apparently is pretty with it. I listened to an interview uh, on uh, with. Uh, did you Sean, watch Sean, the actors doing actors thing? I've not watched that because I've been oh, like, okay. I, I like a lot of those like are you, the variety they're videos. So long. They're long, but yeah. also like a lot of them like they paired people that I wanted to hear talk with other people that like haven't had been to a movie I hadn't seen. Like there was Maharshala Ali and Greta Gerwig, and I was like, I don't want to watch this before I've seen the movie that they're going to be talking sure. about, Greta Gerwig, which is 20th Century Woman. It's like one of the last ones I want to see that's still not to me yet. So I was like, I, I just decided to put off most of them. I watched like the one I did watch most of was Haley Steinfeld and Sally Field. <laughs> I didn't watch that one. Um, no, but yeah, like I, I listened to an interview. Um, Sean Fennessy, the Ringer, interviewed the uh-huh. um, uh, writer director Ted Melfi the other day. So I, I listened to that, and like he said that yeah, Katherine Johnson's like still like ninety something years old and with it, and got honored at something the other day. So I, that's a good thing, but it's like a little what, late. What, huh? what, what if she had been honored when she? What if she had? What if like she died when she was eighty, which would have still been a long, nice life for her? But then you hadn't honored her, and you had until she was eighty years old to do it. So it's like they're getting some props outside of these movies. But like, I, I would like to think that they like honored them before these movies were in the works, and they weren't. It's like, oh shit! Like we should actually give these people some other kinds of distinction. You know, I don't know. Um, yeah, so I was actually watching the Ryan Reynolds Taraji huh. actors on actors I, video. I watch that one. And it's kind of strange. They don't really mesh together at all. Um, But Taraji was talking about how she was so concerned with with the movie and her role because Katherine Johnson is the only one who's still alive. And and like you said, she said she was completely with it. And so for her to like, you know, she sort of has to give a, a she she wants to make this movie and make this performance, you know, for Katherine Johnson, and she wants to make sure that she does it right and she does a good job. And um, she seemed really concerned about that, and I think that she did. I think that she was pretty good. Um, and I, I'm trying to think the last thing I remember her and Ryan Reynolds were talking about how she had to shift so hard from acting as Cookie in Empire to acting as Katherine Johnson in Figures, and how it's such like a uh, way different role and like way different like predisposition before you're acting and stuff to like get into it but yeah. i think that she did a really good job and i think her and octavia and janelle have like really good chemistry together what's weird is that like i know uh i know of her i feel like i know her really well but i haven't actually seen a lot of movies that she's done like one that's been on my watch list just because like it's actually a pretty well-reviewed movie that got a good amount of oscars it has uh has her and marshall ali is the curious case of benjamin button and i did, i was just like uh it just one i never really got to and she, she got an oscar nomination for that but I never seen it. The only things I've actually I never watched Empire, but like I know I feel like I know that character just because it was a pretty big deal in a couple years ago in pop culture. I knew that was a very yeah. big personality. So I've seen her in Boston Legal, which I used to watch a lot with my parents when I was in high school, and uh, same kind of big personality in that. And Talk to Me, which is a movie with Don Cheadle from ten years ago, where he plays like a he plays a radio show host um, in Washington D.C. during like the '60s. I think it's a pretty obviously. A, turbulent time to then have a black guy with a big national voice so it's it's a good movie and she played his uh his girlfriend or wife in it and like i really hadn't actually seen her do anything else but like i just felt like i knew her as this big personality just because of like how she's portrayed from her time on empire so i was like is she gonna really play like this nerdy mathematician pretty well how is she gonna be able to do that and like i thought it was pretty cool that she was was able to like you said she said it was hard but like it didn't look like the effort to do that was showing it seemed pretty natural to her to just kind of slide into that kind of role which i was really impressed by yeah, and she still sort of got to show her fiery side when she had her little short monologue about um, 
mm-hmm. to Kevin Costner about the struggles of her being both black and a woman working in this little bubble that they had at the whatever I don't remember what division it was called. Um, and that was a pretty it was a pretty good scene I think mm-hmm. and it and it the thing was the movie this movie so easily could have been corny and and just like it's something that I would just hate despite its despite its um I guess good like message. positive yeah. yeah with like loving like loving was is not good to me and this movie is so much uh better handled and the performance is sort of they're not like the greatest performances ever, like acting wise, but they're they're all good, they're all solid, and they all just sort of help push the story forward in in, in their own way. So uh, I was really happy with that. I was really happy that Kevin Costner wasn't like white savior guy, um, which could have well, he kind of easily is, happened. Not like well, cor- not in a corny way. He's just like he's the one well, guy he's, that's not overtly racist. So like, because he's just like trying to work for the mission, right? He's he doesn't. Yes, he he's just like the white. He's not he's not like white savior. He's just like white guy that has common sense. Uh, yeah, and like I guess he. I mean, like we for what it was, we enjoyed McFarland USA last year. He was in, and then and then <laughs> yeah, we did. And, and, then, and then and then or that's shit. That two years ago now. I guess that was 2015. Ah. Gang, yeah, yeah. We're doing this a while. Uh, that was that was before we did the podcast, but it just it has. It has I think that might have been like January two thousand fifteen. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So like he was in that, and he was in that movie Black and White that same year that we didn't see. That was about like taking in a black girl and to, into their home and saving her basically. And then I think I mean I've never seen Dances with Wolves, but I think it's kind of like a, a <laughs> bit of a thing where he's like befriend, befriend, befriending the Indians and stuff like that. So it's like he's. Like he, he he's kind of like him and Matthew McConaughey are like two of the more common like white savior white male savior guys. Um, if you go look at their history of roles, so it definitely like could have turned into a corny role. And when I was listening to an interview with the director, he's like, he's because he he like inherited the script from someone else and then did a rewrite. And apparently like that guy that Costner played was supposed to be much younger. But when Kevin Costner's like, no, I want to do this, we're like, all right, well. Kevin Costner wants to do my movie. I guess I should let Kevin Costner do my movie. <laughs> but then, like Costner told him, like this character's a mess, and they actually rewrote him a lot. So maybe it was like that before. And Costner's like, I don't want to be white savior guy. Let's make this guy different. And I'm glad because, like, there's just like a way that could have not worked, and he was perfectly fine. So. Yeah, and Rachel actually shared this tweet with me on Monday, which had me dying about this movie, and it said. Uh, Here's a fuck you to the white people who applauded when Kevin Costner took down the sign, but not when black people did actually amazing shit. And I'm just like, I can't imagine being in a theater and people and people were doing that. Yeah, it was someone I don't know who who the tweet was. There's someone verified, though. Um, I'm not exactly sure who it is. She writes at Jezebel in L.A. Um, Yeah, I mean, that's that's not great. I mean, uh, but that to me, the movie wasn't portrayed that way. It's just this guy is just like, I just need to get this fucking job done. I can't have this lady going to the bathroom for 40 minutes. No, definitely. It was good. Um, But yeah, I think uh, no, I definitely liked it. And I I get what you're saying about loving. Like, I think I was I was I enjoyed loving a a little more than you did. Probably. um, But like, I wasn't totally high on it either. But like, this was I feel like they made this movie more fun. Um, I guess it's just not quite as heavy of subject matter. Like it's just like she experiences like they experience like some racism, but like they still keep it a little more fun. I guess just like building something to go in the space and watching them, I mean, help them do that is just a little more fun than watching like a family kind of have to be isolated. But like we did, we, we talked enough about in that loving podcast about these ways they could have made that one just feel a little more interesting and not as so much just them sitting around and doing nothing. And here 
they're, they're, they're obviously, it's about their jobs. So there's going to be more of doing stuff and trying to make that exciting. But at the same time, uh, their jobs aren't like, they're not like, they're not the astronauts, you know? So that, yeah. they, that they can still make it still entertaining despite that it's about them doing math shows that they were doing something right. Yeah. And the thing is like, I think the movie is, I think it's uh, unquestionable that Catherine, that Taraji is the main character and Catherine Johnson's character is the main character. But I think that they really did a good job of carving out the roles of both of all of both Octavia Spencer and Janelle Monet and sort of differentiating like how they were important in what they did. And then also with uh, Kevin Costner, too. Mm-hmm. And I, I like they all did something that was like important to them. And they all had like their own character moments that weren't just like supporting characters just to be supporting characters you know what i mean like they had the engineering and the supervisor and the and the ibm stuff which i thought was was all handled really well i think they did uh the stuff with the astronauts was actually like very 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 faithful it actually happened uh i know that from the interview i listened to but i don't as far as like the engineering stuff and the computer stuff especially the computer stuff if that's like true that's like a really badass thing that she did Oh yeah, she was just like, I'm gonna teach these girls how to code, <laughs> and just gonna sneak in there. Not and even do girls, it. dude. Just the dudes too. They couldn't even get it working. Oh yeah, like she figured it out and they didn't. But then she was able to like just teach them how to code like in secret, like that. I mean, with, yeah, with the, like those those computers with a book are, and not even the actual computer. Yeah, but but then yeah, and then like to then be able to transfer to that, and I'm sure like they had that they were good enough to do it, and she had to like spend some time with that computer to figure that out. I'm sure, and those things were like they made a they make a point in telling you in the movie how big the computers were back then, and how it can't have been easy to like get it do whatever she needed to do that thing with no one noticing and still figuring that out teaching them how to code off a book and then having them be able to do it like that it's pretty it's pretty cool because uh, that's the thing like with a movie like this where it's um based on a true story like some of it it's just like i know the astronaut's gonna land you know like that almost didn't do as sure. much for that didn't like yeah that's an exciting thing where the astronaut lands but like i just it's just not that suspenseful i mean obviously it was for them in the moment and it's well acted but like I like it when these movies that I was talking about earlier about true stories tell me stuff I don't know and that stuff about the coding was like super interesting and um and also like I guess the stuff about her like having to, Mary Jackson having to go to the school like that was after Brown v Board yeah. of Education like I like I knew that, was, that, I, that might have been the best writing in the whole movie honestly and when yeah. she was at the courthouse yeah and I know that like yeah because that, that scene with the judge was wasn't overplayed or corny either like they did that they did that pretty well. And like I, I mean, I knew that like some places in the South were very, very slow to desegregate. But I mean, I, I mean, I, I thought it was more of like a, um, more of like a working around the law type thing where they just a gerrymandering type thing where they dis, re, sure. they, district, they districted school lines so like the black people would go to a different school from the white people. I didn't know it was like actually like still like court decisions where it was like no, like by law, like this black person yeah. can go to the school. I didn't know it was still that blatant. Well, that yeah, point. because so they weren't following federal law, they were just like, nah, fuck you, you can't go to school. I mean, I assume some of that happened. I just didn't realize it was like I, I, I didn't know like at that point. Like I guess it's at that point it's probably the mid sixties. Brown v. Board of Education I think was like nineteen fifty four. So like. I didn't realize like they were still getting away with that stuff that late, and it's interesting. There, if, assuming that is all true, that there was a judge that was that uh, pragmatic and not just a total racist, which I might have expected, you know. Yeah, um, and Mahershala Ali, the goat, just 
playing traditional woman love interest part, which was great. He yeah, was he fantastic like, in it. He had like a few scenes, but he, he just kills it. Um, he's I, so good. Yeah, he's like, so good. The, I mean, obviously the one where he like first talks to her and he like is caught off guard and realizes like how offensive he was that he said and he felt really bad about it. Like he played that really well. But then, like, the stuff with their kids, like, he's, like, he's not even saying much in some of those scenes. It's just, like, the facial expressions when he's yeah. when he's proposing to him and stuff. And he's, like, what are you guys doing? He's saying, <laughs> he's saying all that with his face. Like, he's, like, obviously, like, I'd say, like, something in, uh, like, Moonlight is somewhere between, uh, obviously, it's our favorite, probably our favorite performance of the year. But, like, that's somewhere between this and, like, what he does in Luke Cage as far as, like, the level yeah. of, like, one's yeah. total menacing here he's like totally harmless sweet nice guy and i guess i mean like somewhere in between because he has that drug dealer hat but it just it, it just kind of it just shows you his range i mean like I, I i didn't expect him to have a huge role in the movie but like he gets to do enough where you can just see how impressive it is that he can be as menacing as he is um as um as cottonmouth and then do what he did here yeah he he's just delightful anytime he's on screen um you know who really surprised me was the dude who played john glenn uh glenn powell that guy was really good to me he he had a, like he wasn't in that many scenes but he was super like positive and 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 spunky and like had some funny lines and some like just like positivity shooting out from him was well, that, that, I don't know. that I really surprising given what he brought to everybody wants some like that was kind of uh, <laughs> i mean like you know he's he's what, what i liked about him and everybody wants him is that he's just like super positive and you just liked how that guy was down to do anything and is so excited to go do weird stuff and he's really positive i and i actually wrote this in my uh like i started my letterbox account and i've been writing somewhat of like short reviews about most of the things i'd see and like i singled that out because like you said it's small but and like some of those lines he's saying like are, if you just listen if you look at them like look at the On words paper. it's pretty like corny if you're reading like, them roger yeah. that ready to go it's like that kind of shit and like it, sh- it, sh- it, it you would just roll your eyes if it was a lesser actor saying those things because like um, I, I'm like I, I recognize that at the same time, but I'm like it doesn't sound that corny coming out of his mouth because he's like doing a good job of saying the lines like and that, that's what was really important to me was that it may, it might not make the movie, but like if it takes you out of the movie, if that guy just sounds like a total bozo. And yep. but but the thing was it wasn't like the writing was bad like that was one of the things where they actually like took transcriptions from the talks they were having back with the as he was sure. do, doing that like that that was actually what John Glenn said so I I, I would feel weird blaming the movie too much if it sounded corny because they were trying to be very faithful to the, his actual words but lucky for them they found an actor that was able to just like pull that off without sounding like a total noob. Yeah, he's he's good. I hope he gets some more opportunities to sort of get some more screen time in some other movies next year. And mm-hmm. but it doesn't look like I didn't see anything on his upcoming list when I looked really? last looked at it. Hmm. Um, but he was good. Uh, fucking my boy MC Ren from Straight Outta Compton playing uh, Janelle's husband. That was funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. I was sitting there. I was like, where do I know this guy from? And then I just saw him rapping in my head and I was like, yep, that's what it is. Um, not shocked that guy from Big Bang Theory is racist. Fuck that guy. <laughs> Don't care. <laughs> piece of shit. Um, uh, uh, couldn't about, tell uh, you if that was his character or if that was real life him because he's in big bang theory so yeah, i don't like big bang theory any more than you i'm not gonna pretend like i've ever watched an episode of that show but i'm <laughs> saying like i don't i don't i don't want to i don't want to slander them by saying like it's not a stretch for someone there to be racist but like yeah i mean they probably brought less to that role than just about anyone else in the movie but that was written as like the most 
one-dimensional character possible. Um, what about what about uh, Kirsten Dunst? Like she got to have, like, slightly more humanity than that guy, but still not much of a role. Nah, yeah, she was kind of random. I wonder. Uh, I, I was wondering why she was there. You know, like they could have just yeah. had random, a random blonde woman there. I don't think anyone goes to see that movie because Kirsten Dunst is in it. I guess maybe she just liked the story, liked the script, and. She's like, okay, because like that's not the most likable person. So like, even if it wasn't a well-written character, I was like, well, good on you, I guess, for being willing to just go do that when it's like the fifth, it's like the sixth or seventh lead in the movie, and like she's not like a leading lady in Hollywood at this point, having leads in a bunch of big movies. But it's like you're probably better than that. That you don't need to take that role for any reason. And she's like, I just want to be involved in this. So. I guess that's cool, but like it wasn't like a, an amazing part or an amazing performance. It was yeah, kind of reminded there. me of Kristen Wiig from The Martian a little bit, just like unnecessary role. But I like, I don't want to go that far. That was, yeah, that was ridiculous. Her in The Martian, like, we, <laughs> it made sense that there'd be like a white middle manager there. Um, that yeah, has power yeah. over them, and you have to deal with that. Um, uh, not totally relevant, but I was just like I went on Gwen Powell's IMDb after you said that it does have one movie in post production. Uh, uh, war set during the occupation of Iraq, a squad of U.S. soldiers try to protect a small village. It's called Sandcastle. It so also has gener- Generation Kill. It also movie. has Nicholas Holt and uh, Logan Marshall Green. Oh, um, yeah. Uh, who's who's also going to be in the, the Spider-Man movie, right? So it's yeah. like the villain. So it's like weird that that guy is having a moment when I honestly don't think I had known him from anything else other than like the <laughs> OC like twelve years ago. As other, so kind of weird that guy's like getting to do shit now. Um, but so yeah, you get to see Glenn Powell in one thing in 2017 at least. Um, trying to think if there's anything else uh, with Hidden Figures though. Um, no, I mean it's good. Yeah, I oh, definitely oh, recommend. Another, another oh. thing. Oh, one thing that I think does help add to the fun. Um, uh, shout out to Pharrell because I thought the music was pretty good. Oh, did, the music like, was really good. He, he did like all of it. Uh, did did like did a lot of the score and like the the original songs that were in it. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, the songs were really good, and they had a good, good like timing and sequences as far as when they were played and um, whatever lyrics that uh, he wrote. Um, I did notice that, but I completely forgot about it until you mentioned it. Uh, but yeah, I always love Pharrell too. He definitely helped out. Um, now I just want to like emphasize one more time because we, I mean, we, we, we kind of graze over the other two ladies a little bit. We, we said their stories were good, but as far as the performances, like good on them for casting Janelle Monet because I mean they had to film this thing before they had probably seen Moonlight. She'd actually like never acted in anything before Moonlight. Like I learned after that that she was she's actually like a trained actress to some extent. Like went to some kind of performing arts school for either college or high school. So like. But, like, I guess she just decided to pursue the music thing, and you would know better than me, but I feel like it wasn't like she ever had, like, the most critically acclaimed music or really – I mean, she had I mean, some she was success. pretty popular. She had some success, but, like, it wasn't, like, um, on the level of some other people that, like, I'm more familiar with. Like, she had some – yeah, like, she had some success, but it was, like – for someone that obviously has this capability to act, it like took her till she was like 31 years old. And then she all of a sudden gets in the best movie of the year. And then like another really good one in this one. So like, but like they just had to go, they didn't really have anything to go off of when they cast her in this. And while it's not as big of a part as Taraji's, like if you have a bad actress in that role, like it's going to really hurt the movie. Cause she is like yeah. the second or third most important person. So like for them to this, like maybe they just had like, they probably hadn't seen her in moonlight. Cause like I said, this probably filmed pretty close to when moonlight filmed so for them to like be able to take that leap and cast her who's she's really good and like good for them for being able to tell that that it wouldn't it would work out yeah i agree she was really good glad that she's got something else that she's doing too um i love her energy when she's on screen she's 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 been really really good in those two movies that we've seen her in so far so 
Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I would recommend going to see it. It's a good movie. And people I'm are seeing it. I think it was number one in the country last weekend. So yeah, Andrew, maybe so. I'm not sure what else I would say to go see over it right now. If you haven't seen Moonlight, definitely go check that out. Yeah, it's getting re-released, which is good. Like I guess yes, and like with awards nominations and stuff. So like I know a lot of people only made like twelve million dollars. So you people have no excuse now. It's back in theaters, and you know it's good because it's getting nominated for stuff. And Oscar yeah. nominations are going to have happened by the time people listen to this. And I'm sure a lot of those people will go see it again. That saw it the first time. I know I'm going to see it again. I already saw it twice, and now it's getting movie pass is getting smarter. So I don't know. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot to, about it that. It might be harder for me to go use that to get into something else. But I mean, like, there's really not like I, I got a 20th Century Woman is going to be at a couple of the theaters kind of near me, and I'm seeing that this weekend. And if I just like don't have anything else to go see, like I probably will just I'll I'd, I'd go into my pocket for Moonlight on top of what I already paid for movie pass because you know some movies it's just like I. I like seeing most of my favorites in the year twice if I can because, like, you know, never going to see them on a, that big of a screen again. So go see Moonlight, people. We're doing it for a second or third time. Like, you can do it for a first. Yeah, and it's and it's worth it. But uh, Hidden Figures is good. Um, top top third percentage movies I've seen uh, that came out in 2016. Um, I don't know. what else, yeah, Anything else to add, Josh? Uh, no, I don't, I don't think so. Definitely, uh, definitely go check this one out, though. Um, I agree. Yeah, so you can find us on social media, me on Twitter at aclambake, A-K-L-A-M-B-A-K-E. At Josh Chernovoy, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-Y. Podcast Twitter is 52in52pod, and our podcast email is 52in52pod at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you guys next time.